So today we're calling this lesson today the day death died, which is interesting because only a few days ago was Good Friday. It's the day that we celebrate the death of Jesus, the sacrifice that he paid for us on the cross. But today is a very special day because, as you know, that was not the last chapter for our Lord Jesus Christ, nor will it be the last chapter for those who believe in him. And that's what we celebrate today. The day death died is where we're going today. We're going to look at a not-so-traditional Easter passage, but we will circle back to the traditional one because that's the point, of course. Before we get to the lesson today, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been bullied? Think about that question. Were you ever bullied growing up? I'm not going to ask you the question, were you a bully? Because I don't really want to know. But were you bullied growing up? I believe many of us were bullied growing up at some time in our life. Well, I'm going to share with you a few things, a few bullies that still exist today that we can't get rid of. We want to get rid of these bullies, but we can't. Okay, These are a few bullies that still hang around our lives from time to time, and you'll understand where I'm going as I share these. Number one bully we can't get rid of is getting old. <laughs> now, you might not think that I'm old, and I don't believe that I am old, but my body thinks differently. Because the other day I went into a room and forgot why I went in there, which I know happens from time to time, but here's the really weird thing is I forgot how to get back. Why am I here and how do I get back? I was just stuck for a few minutes going. So getting old is a bully we can't get rid of. Here's another bully we can't get rid of is dropping stuff. Does anyone else have a case of the drops? Just every now and then I get one of those days I can't hold on to anything. Like gravity is fighting me already. So that's, that's a bully. I find gravity sometimes to be a bully. Here's another one, dishes and laundry. Now, I have 10 people in my family, eight children. Do you guys remember that story of the shoemaker who goes like, to sleep and he has these little elves that make the shoes for him and he wakes up and they're all done? Well, we have the opposite problem. So in our house, uh, the dishes and laundry can be done. We go to sleep. We wake up in the morning. They're full again. So we got, we got some bad elves. Someone needs to exterminate those guys out of our house. Uh, here's another bully we can't get rid of, germs. And I try. I'm not a germaphobe, but I am germ-aware. Um, so I'm the kind of guy, you know, will drink the airborne. Anyone else do that, the vitamin C on a regular basis? Thank you, Janet. There's the one back there. Uh, I also use the, the hand sanitizer. But on, I, honestly, it doesn't matter because germs still find their way in. I don't know how that is. I try my best, and every now and then I still get sick, and it's annoying. So germs, you're a bully. Here's another one. Commercials and ads are a bully, aren't they not? It seems like we've grown so much in technology, but we're still surrounded by these annoying bullies called commercials and ads. In fact, the other day, I wanted to read like a two-paragraph article. What's that? I just wanted to, it was a little blurb about something I was interested in, and I just wanted to read the article. And I had to go listen to like a 45-minute commercial. 45-minute. 45-second. Now, that would be a long commercial. But 45 seconds felt long. So I didn't read it. I didn't have the time for the 45-second ad, and I said, it's not worth it. And Because I, I felt bullied. I felt bullied by the ads at that moment. Here's another bully we can't get rid of. Weirdos. Weirdos. Now, I thought I left all the weirdos in Pennsylvania. I did. I came up to the North Country thinking, goodbye, weirdos. You, you, got, you got some weirdos here. I hate to break it to you, but there's some weirdos. In fact... I asked Janine the other day, I said, what, what is normal? Is there, is, there, is there a thing called normal? She said, no, there's no normal. We're all weird. Yes. You're weird, I'm weird, we're all a bunch of weirdos. We're all bullying each other because we're weird. Uh, here's another one, hassles. Just hassles. The hassles of life. It seems like life itself fights me. 
The other day, I wanted to, I wanted to simply stand up a bag of garbage. It fell over because I didn't put it up the right way. The other day, I wanted to turn on a lamp, and the switch was all the way on the other side. I did one of these numbers. <laughs> or you ever try to plug your charger in at night? And even though, I mean, come on, it's always in the same place. It, it took me an awkward amount of time to plug in my charger. And uh, it just, the hassles of life, David, I don't know what it is. Going along with that, technology. Technology is another bully. You think technology is a friend. In fact, we're going to use some technology here today, and I, I hope it cooperates. But sometimes technology is a bully. In fact, I was going to print off my very icebreaker today that I'm sharing with you right now. It took me like 12 minutes to print one page because something was in the queue blocking it, then it was out of paper. So I want you to know this is worth it today, okay? This took me about 12 minutes just to print, so we have this today. But technology, you're a bully. Here's number nine, aches and pains. Aches and pains. I'm in my 40s now, and the other day I hurt myself tying my shoe. <sighs> That's a bully. I shouldn't have to hurt myself tying my shoe. Time to wear Velcro. <laughs> I'm gonna put you on my list. There's another bully, we're out in the audience. Yeah, but that's what bullies do. They say it as they punch you in the face. They smile as they punch you in the face. I'm just teasing. Heather's not a bully. We love Heather. But that kind of was mean. But can I get Velcro shoes as a pastor? Is that a good look? Velcro shoes as a pastor. Okay, you guys find me some stylish ones, and maybe I will. I don't want myself getting injured. Here's another bully. The last bully of our day is bad smells. I think I have a very sensitive nose. Um, I think there's a probably five good smells in the entire world. Yeah, five. Coffee, anything on the barbecue, um, that's it. I said five, there's two. But you notice there's like 17,000 bad smells. Now maybe it's just because I have a lot of kids. But there's a lot of bad smells. In fact, some things that should be good sometimes aren't good, like candles. You ever walk into a candle store and I try to find, again, it takes me 45 minutes to find one I actually like. Um, or perfumes, you walk into a perfume store and you walk out and you feel bullied. You feel bullied by the perfumes. Um, in fact, I, sometimes I try to buy perfume for my wife and I, I end up smelling quite fancy. Um, when I come <laughs> so bad smells are a bully. There's a bunch of bullies out there we can't get rid of. And here, in fact, today there's a bully that we're going to talk about today. But this bully has been taken care of for us and it's death. Death is a bully. And today we're going to find out the day death died because one, t one day, one special unique day, death was defeated. And we're going to talk about that here today. But today, of course, is Easter. I don't know what your feelings are on this holiday or if you had any Easter traditions growing up that maybe you still keep with your own family. Uh, my, my, my family now had some, some candy this morning and, you know, we didn't get too crazy, but the kids love candy. So any excuse to have candy, they'll take it. But I had some Easter traditions growing up that I'd like to share before we get started, because growing up, uh, we grew up Christian, grew up, you know, in a good biblical church. Uh, Easter Sunday was a very busy day. It was a very busy day on Easter. I remember with my family growing up, I had two siblings, and my parents would wake us up like 6.30 in the morning, because they had to cram everything on Easter Sunday in before we went to church, okay? So... So you had to break, wake up really early, like 6.30 in the morning. We all stumble out of our rooms. You know, we got one pant leg rolled up. Our hair's all messy. You know, this is when I had hair. And got the bed head, and you need to go with the bloodshot eyes. It looks like it just came from a frat party. 
And uh, it was time to do an Easter egg hunt. You guys still do that? Anyone else do this Easter egg hunt? Nobody. Wow. Okay. That's, that's a long... Okay. We got a few. This side of the room. Easter egg hunt. Well, we did that back in the day and it, it was typical. Every year was the same thing. You know, my parents would take a minute and a half and hide Easter eggs. And then we'd come out and Christy, my oldest sister, would find about 13. I would find about 12. Travis would find two. And even those two he needed help for. And then after we found the Easter eggs, it was time to find your Easter basket, you know, full of candy and the fake grass. You remember the fake grass? And the Easter baskets were always hidden in the same place, too. Christie's was behind the big plant. Mine was behind my dad's recliner, and I always knew where to look. And Travis's was, again, right directly in front of him in, in the living room so he could find it. I'm bullying Trav. There's a lot of bullies today. Sorry, Travis. But after, you know, after we'd have our Easter basket, we ate an enormous amount of candy, as much as we could shove in our mouths before we had to get eaten. And I and inevitably get some of that fake grass in my mouth, and I gagged to death. Yeah, that wasn't a pleasant experience. But after we have candy, you know, it's time to get ready for church. And I, I, back in the day, I don't know if this rule still exists, but back in the day, you had to have a new Easter outfit. Okay? And if you didn't have a new Easter outfit on Easter, I think they'd kick you out of the church. I think they'd excommunicate you. So you had to have a new Easter outfit. Um, so I remember my sister having some big flowery ordeal with dress. And, and me and my brother, we had, to, we had to have suits. Back in the day, people wore suits. You guys remember that? And so Trav and I had these suits, and they're always like two sizes too small. So we had to like shoehorn ourselves into those things. And, and I remember hating that process. I'd be crying and whining because I was sweaty. I was uncomfortable. And I'm yelling to my mom, I hate this. Can I take this thing off? She's like, no, you've got to look good on Easter. So we dress up for Easter, and Trav and I are crying and sweating. And, and then my mom says, it's time for Easter family pictures. And where do you take Easter family pictures? Help me out. You take them outside, because Easter is typically the sunniest day of the year. It's beautiful. Everything's blooming. And my mom had a great strategy for, for family pictures. She said, why don't you all stare directly into the center of the sun? Because um, I remember, because every picture you look back on Easter, we're all like this, you know, fighting the sun. And uh, so that was a great experience. And then it was time to go to church. You go to church, and of course, you, you enjoy the church service together. And then you come home from church, and as soon as I got in that car... We had those clip-on ties. Remember those things? I don't have one today. But you rip that clip-on tie right off. You get home, and as soon as you get home, you rip that Easter outfit on, and then mom yells at you, leave it on. Grandma wants to see you in your new outfit. So you just put the clip-on tie in your T-shirt, and you call it a day. And then every single day, every single Easter Sunday, you have lunch together. What's for, me? What's for the meal? You tell me. What do we have? Ham. Who has ham for Easter today? Okay, it's a law. You have to have ham. And I'm going to tell you a little secret that I told us to leave the other day. I don't like ham. <laughs> Never have. I don't like ham. I don't know what it is about ham, but I don't like it. I wanted pizza. <laughs> Can someone have pizza on Easter? Who's going to break the rule today? Who's going to order pizza today? Tur turkey? Okay, I can get on board with turkey. But still, ribs? Ribs? ribs. Come on. Let's get on board with ribs for Easter. What's that? Aren't ribs ham? Sure. If I can call it ham and eat ribs, I'll, I'll do it. I'm on board with that. Well, I don't know if you've had any Easter traditions, what your thoughts are on Easter, but I want to ask this question before we get started today. Is Easter biblical? I want you to think about that question for a moment. Is Easter biblical? Because here at Crossroads Church, we want our bottom line in all things to be the scriptures, the holy scriptures of God. And the question that I've often wrestled with is, is Easter biblical? Because I've read the Bible. I've read the Bible a few times. 
And I don't see Easter in the Bible. I don't see the word Easter, and I don't see a mandate to celebrate Easter. So does that mean it's biblical? It's, the answer is probably no, if you're going by that aspect. Easter is not biblically mandated for Christians to celebrate. Now, it's a very big Christian holiday. But does that mean we shouldn't celebrate it? Because it's not biblical. No, because there's something is biblical. And that's what we're going to celebrate today. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this, this event that we're celebrating today is so profound and so powerful for us that without it, the entire Christian faith is undone. You take this one single event away from Christianity and there is no Christianity. That's how important it is. In fact, the Apostle Paul said it this way. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 13 to 14, he said, If there is no resurrection of the dead... Okay, so that's his thesis statement. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. Because if it's impossible for resurrection to happen, if once you die you stay dead, then certainly Christ was never raised from the dead. That's his statement. And if Christ has not been raised, then where is he today? He's dead. He's dead. Just like every single person, he would die and stay dead and that would be the end of things. So he had a great following, he did a lot of great things, but then he was crucified and died and stayed dead if there is no resurrection of the dead. And therefore, our proclamation or our preaching has been in vain. It's useless. Our preaching and what we're doing here today, if there is no resurrection of the dead, our preaching is useless. It's in vain. And your faith is also in vain. That's how important the resurrection is to the Christian faith. If there is no resurrection, Christ is still dead. And if Christ is still dead, our faith, what we're doing here today, is meaningless. Absolutely meaningless. But now that would be a sad way to end, wouldn't it? Especially on Resurrection Sunday. But of course, that's not where it ends. Because Jesus himself made this bold statement that we read from John 3.16. He said, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's the most beautiful verse in the Bible, or one of them. Those who believe in Jesus will not perish, will not die. That's exactly what perish means. You won't die. But instead, you'll have eternal life. Now, that statement needs to have some validity to it, does it not? And if Jesus did not raise from the dead, that verse is wrong. Because Jesus himself would have perished, Jesus himself would still be dead, and therefore we would have zero hope. That's kind of Paul's line of thinking. But if you know that passage from 1 Corinthians 15, as he goes on, Paul clearly states this, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. And if you remember, over 500 people saw Jesus after he arose from the dead. Now that is a lot of people. I want you to picture a court setting and they bring in 500 people, one after another, and they all say the same thing. I saw Jesus after he was dead. I saw Jesus after he was dead. I saw him walking. I saw him speaking. 500 people. Jesus has been raised from the dead. And therefore, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's the first. And therefore, this verse that we just talked about has hope for us. Because Christ has raised from the dead. And that's where we're going today. We're going to prove that statement. Because here's another bully that we ended on today. Death. Death is a bully, and we all have a clock on our lives, do we not? In fact, I would say death 
is stalking all of us. Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. We all grow a little bit closer to death, and nobody wants to talk about it. It's a big taboo. It's a big elephant in the room. Nobody wants to talk about death, certainly because it's a very tragic thing to consider. And it's a bully. And so without the resurrection of the dead, what hope do we have? What point is there to anything that we do? And the answer is there is no point. We're going to talk about a passage today that's going to, I believe, be a game changer for everything we understand about Christianity. If we understand this one text today, I believe everything about Christianity will fall into place. Okay, and we're going to share a story that I told you is not the traditional resurrection story, not at the beginning, but we are going to share about the resurrection, and we're going to share about a, sh- about a, about a story that's going to do a little bit thing called foreshadowing. For those of you who remember your English class, foreshadowing is a literary device used to hint at events yet to come. Now, of course, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is in the past for us. But for those in this passage, it had not yet taken place. So this passage that we're going to be reading today is foreshadowing of an event that one day would come and would keep the readers guessing. So we're going to read that story from John chapter 11 today. Okay, and we're going to end on, of course, the resurrection of Jesus But I need you to understand this passage today because it's one of the most amazing passages I've ever read. It comes from John 11, verses 1 to 44. We're going to be spending most of our time in this text. If you want to turn your Bibles there, you can. John 11, verses 1 to 44. And I'm simply going to walk us through this story today. Okay, It's a narrative, it's a story, and it's an actual event. And I want to walk us through this. I'm going to give us a little bit of context because the passage gives us this context. It says in verse 1, now a certain man was ill. And we find out that his name is Lazarus of Bethany. Bethany was the village of Mary and her sister Martha. If you you know those two, that's a very prominent family to Jesus. Jesus was close with all three of these people. It says in verse 2, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose whose brother Lazarus was ill. Okay? So we find out this this is a family that is near and dear to Jesus Christ, a very close family. And Lazarus is sick. Now, we need to understand about something about the day, okay? Lazarus is sick, but it's telling us this as a point of context because we all get sick from time to time. In fact, does anyone else really hate getting sick? Because I hate it. I hate getting sick. I hate feeling like I'm a burden to people. I hate feeling like I can't do what I normally need to do. And you feel miserable. I hate getting sick. And we find out here that Lazarus is sick. He's sick, but we all get sick. So that's not yet important. That's not yet vital because everybody gets sick. But in verse 3 it says, So the sisters sent to him, to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now we need to understand something here today. The fact that Mary and Martha need to send word to Jesus Christ is very interesting that Lazarus is ill. This tells us that Lazarus probably has something more than the common cold, right? Probably has something more than just achiness or a cough or a fever. It's probably a really bad sickness because it's not like texting someone today, okay? You couldn't just text Jesus and say, Lazarus is sick. You would have had to send a message or a messenger to Jesus, find out where he is, and that would take, that would be a process. So the very fact that they're alerting Jesus to Lazarus' illness probably means Lazarus is very sick. And they also know that Jesus can do significant things for those who are sick. They had seen him heal the lame. They had seen him heal the blind. They had seen leprosy be removed from a person top to bottom. 
So they knew that Jesus, one of his names, is the great physician. So they send word to Jesus saying, He whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. That's a good piece of news, right? Well, okay, Lazarus is sick, maybe even very sick, but it's not going to be tragic for Lazarus. That's a good piece of news. In fact, it's for the glory of God so that the Son of God, Jesus himself, might be glorified through it. Now that's two good things. Number one, Lazarus is not going to die from this. And number two, God is going to receive a tremendous amount of glory because of his illness. That's what you call a two-bird, one-stone scenario. Now, is that an odd idiom to anyone else? Why is it better to kill two birds with one stone than just one bird? I've always found it a little odd, that idiom, but... But this is what, basically what we're dealing with today. Okay, Not only is Lazarus not going to die, but God's going to be glorified by his illness. Okay, that's a, that's a good piece of news. And so the disciples hear some very good news from Jesus Christ. Now in verse 5 it says, Now Lazarus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Okay, so there's a statement of truth. He loves this family. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill... He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, does that seem backwards? That seems a little backwards, right? If, if you were to hear that one of your most beloved friends is sick, maybe even very sick, wouldn't you rush to their side, especially if you were the great physician and you could heal people miraculously? Wouldn't you rush to their side and, and make their suffering go away immediately? Well, he doesn't. It says because he loved them, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That's interesting to me. But that's also going to be a very important detail for what transpires. But Jesus is very chill. Okay, now obviously that's not Jesus. But Jesus has a very relaxed demeanor about finding out that Lazarus is sick. He's not nervous. He's not worried. In fact, he says, God's going to be glorified through this. And the disciples are hearing Jesus say this out loud. Jesus is very relaxed at this point, and so are the disciples. Then after this, after two days go by, oops, after two days go by, Jesus says to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Now, we have to understand something about Judea. Judea in Israel, excuse me, is a big region, a big province, okay, and there's a very a few important cities in Judea. Number one is Bethlehem, if you can see that. I'm not sure you can see that, actually. And what happened in Bethlehem? Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Okay, and we also have the capital city, Jerusalem, right there. And if Bethany is actually very close, we're going to find this out in the text, very close to Jerusalem. So Bethany is in Judea. And the disciples are confused that Jesus says, let's go there again, because the last time they were in Judea, something very tragic was taking place. Jesus was being threatened to be stoned by the Jews. And this happened back in the day, when, when you wanted to enact some, some swift justice for some major crime, you would pick up stones and would throw them at someone to kill them. This happened to the Apostle Paul. Now, he didn't die from it, but... When Jesus, the last time he was in Judea, the Jews tried to kill Jesus, and he slipped away before it could happen. So the disciples are hearing Jesus say this two days later, saying, let's go to Judea, and they're probably very confused by this. 
saying, Jesus, why would you go back there? Why would you go back to Judea where this great danger would happen? And especially if Lazarus is going to be fine. Why do we have to go there at all? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Kind of a cryptic thing to say, is it not? What does Jesus mean by this? Well, Jesus has two options here. He could stay in relative safety wherever they are at this current moment and not go to Judea where they were seeking to stone him. Or he could go visit his friend in Judea and possibly risk his own life. And Jesus says this phrase, basically saying, if I walk in the light, and I think the light is symbolic for God's will, I can navigate clearly. Because guess who's with me? God is with me. Wherever God is, that's where the light is. So I want to go where God is. And if God's will is directing me to Judea, and we're going to find out that it is, and it was, I want to be where God is. So I'm not scared to go where they might threaten my life. I'm scared to go wherever God is not. Isn't that interesting? So to stay in safety might be to stay where God is not. So Jesus says, listen, if we go where the light is, we have nothing to fear. Because guess who's with us? God is with us. And that's a really important statement he made. And basically he's summarizing what Paul said in Romans 8.31. He says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is with me, if God is next to me, if God is on my team, who can possibly stand against me? And the answer is nobody. Certainly nobody. So Jesus and the disciples are not worried about what's going to transpire. And so after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Now I want you to imagine yourself being a disciple at this moment, okay? And Jesus says, I go to awaken him. Okay, you just heard that Lazarus was ill, but he's not going to die from this illness, okay? It's for the glory of God. And then Jesus says, let's go to Judea again. And they're like, maybe we shouldn't do that. Jesus says, we're going to be fine. And then he says, Lazarus has fallen asleep. And I would go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he's going to recover. In fact, isn't that what you do when you get sick? Don't you sleep? And isn't that a good thing when you're sick to sleep? It's a good thing, right? So the fact that Lazarus is sleeping to the disciples is no big deal. It's like, Jesus, he's, he's asleep. He's going to be fine. In fact, that's probably going to help him recover because that's what you do when you're sick. So we, we shouldn't have to risk our lives in order for Lazarus to wake up. Why don't you just send him a care package? You know? You guys ever done this when someone is sick? Bring them some chicken noodle soup or in this context, maybe a hot cup of coffee. If you really want Lazarus to get better, send him a care package. We don't have to risk our lives because the man is sick and asleep. This is very confusing to the disciples, and I think it would be confusing to me if I was hearing the same words from Jesus' mouth. But in verse 13, we find out something very interesting. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death. We find out Lazarus is dead. He's not sick. He's not sleeping. He's dead. But the disciples thought that they meant thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Now this story, this story just took a very sharp right turn. What just happened there? What happened? Technology, Te technology just bullied me. In fact, it's still doing it. 
There we go. Okay. Come on. Act, act better technology. But this story just took a very sharp turn, did it not? It went from Lazarus is sick, but he's not going to die, to Lazarus is asleep, and he's going to wake up eventually, to now Jesus says, no, he's dead. Lazarus is dead. Did Jesus just contradict himself? This story just took a very sharp right turn, and a very th weird thing has transpired. And the disciples are hearing this, trying to collect all this information and find out now that Lazarus is dead. Jesus goes on in verse 15 and saying, For your sake, disciples, I am glad that I was not there. Another interesting thing for Jesus to say. I'm glad that I wasn't there, because if I was there, I could have kept the man from dying. And I'm glad that I wasn't, so that you may believe. You're going to learn something, disciples. You believe you know everything you know by this point about Jesus Christ, but you're going to learn something very significant today. We all are about Jesus Christ. So he says, I'm glad that it was not there so that you may believe, but let us now go to him, go to Lazarus. So Thomas, one of the disciples, you remember Thomas, what is Thomas known for, sadly? Doubting, Doubting Thomas. The same guy, the same guy who said, I won't believe that Jesus has been raised unless I can put my fingers right in his nail marks, right? Until I see him face to face, flesh to flesh. This is Thomas speaking up, but he says, to the fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, this thing just got very bleak, okay? We, it, go, it went from Lazarus is sick, possibly has a head cold, and he's taking a nap, to now Lazarus is dead. And we got little uh, Doubting Thomas over here on the left, little Debbie Downer. I think that's kind of a funny picture. That's Thomas right now, little Debbie Downer going, ah, let's just go and die. So now Lazarus is dead. Uh, Jesus is going back to Judea. He's probably going to die. And the disciples follow Jesus, so yeah, we're probably going to die too. Do you see how bleak this got very quickly? Lazarus is dead. Jesus is probably going to die. We're going to die with Jesus. The whole thing's going, going haywire here. And it's kind of the opposite of what Jesus is going to do, in fact. So in verse 17, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb Four days. Now remember, Jesus stayed two days longer where he was. And in Jewish custom, you have to understand this, that even though someone had passed away, they believed it took three days for your spirit to leave. Okay? Three full days. So even though Lazarus has been dead, if Jesus did not linger two days longer where he was, possibly you can come and revive his spirit and Lazarus will be okay. But now he's been dead four days. So his spirit is up and left for sure. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, so it's very close to the capital city here. And many of the Jews had come to console Mary and Martha concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. So Mary and Martha, again, very close to Jesus. Martha decides to meet Jesus on the road. She comes and finds where Jesus is, and she says to Jesus, Lord... If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And that's a true statement. And I think even Jesus believes that. If I had arrived when I did, when they summoned me, I would have showed up, Lazarus would, have not, would not have died, and he would be fine right now. And Martha says the same thing. If you had been here, clearly, you would have saved Lazarus, and he would still be alive today. But then she says this. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. Now that 
is a very profound statement that came out of Martha's mouth. And she might not even know how profound that statement is. Because she's going to learn something today that I don't believe she knows just yet. But that statement is really the seedlings of great faith in Martha. That she believes that even though Lazarus has been dead for four days, whatever Jesus asks of God, God will give it to him. Martha believes that. And it's interesting that the, the seeds of faith have taken shape in their lives. But they're going to find out exactly how profound that statement is. Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. Plain and simple. Lazarus will rise again. And sometimes when you're talking to a minister or a pastor, you know, when I'm engaged in conversation, people assume that everything that comes out of my mouth is doctrinal. You know, something that comes right out of the pages of Scripture. And I believe that's kind of where Martha's mind is. She's hearing Jesus say this phrase, your brother will rise again, and she's like, that's right. Yes, Jesus, I agree with you. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Basically saying, I know, Jesus, this is not the final chapter for Lazarus. I know he's not going to be dead permanently. I agree with you that on the resurrection on the last day, we will see my brother again. And she believes Jesus may be just be spouting some doctrine at her. But you have to remember this phrase from John 3.16. <clears throat> it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him, what's it say? shall not perish. It says will not die. If you believe in Jesus, you will not die, but instead you will have eternal life. That came out of the very mouth of Jesus. Okay? So Lazarus has now died, and according to John 3.16, whoever believes, and Lazarus is a believer, he will not die. And this is very interesting. Because what, what Martha is understanding here today is that God can grant eternal life. Jesus can grant eternal life and resurrection on the last day. But Lazarus is dead in the flesh. <laughs> I need to explain this picture here a little bit. I don't know if you guys have ever seen those strongman competitions where the guy will pick up the 500-pound boulder and put it on some pedestal. Uh, I've watched a couple of those. They're pretty cool. Um, but here's a kind of a picture of what we're talking about here today, okay? Jesus has told Martha and Mary and Lazarus and many others that I can grant you eternal life. You will not perish if you believe in me, but you will have eternal life. Now you tell me right now, what's more profound? Eternal life or physical life? Eternal life is clearly the bigger ask, okay? If I said to Jesus, hey, heal my brother and give him 10 more years of life here upon the earth, or if I asked Jesus to give me eternal life, clearly eternal life is a bigger ask. And Jesus told us in John 3.16, I can grant anyone, anybody who believes in me, eternal life. But now here in the flesh, Lazarus has died. And the conclusion that people are making is going, well, it's over. Lazarus is dead. There's nothing more we can do except to hope that one day it won't be the final chapter for Lazarus. And I think that's kind of backwards. If God, Jesus, can grant eternal life, can't he certainly do something in the physical realm? Isn't that much smaller, much more minor in comparison to eternal life? I believe it is. And I believe that's where Jesus is going. So he says to Martha in verse 25, I am the resurrection, the life. The resurrection is not a day, Martha. It's not a time. It's not a season. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. 
Whoever believes in me, though he die, we'll talk about that, how that's possible, yet shall he live. Not a day, Martha. It's a person, and I am that person. I am the resurrection of life. As long as you have me, you have everything you need for life, abundant, eternal life. It doesn't come from a day. It comes from a person. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, we need to sort this out. Then he asks, Martha, do you believe this? We need to sort this out because has Lazarus died? Yes. He's been dead for four days in the physical realm. But Jesus has stated in John 3.16, and now here he states again, that whoever believes in him will not die, but will live. So we will sort that out. But he asks Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe that it's me? It's not a day, it's not a time, it's a season. I am the resurrection of life. Do you believe that it's me, the one who is capable and responsible for raising life back from the dead? That's what he asks Martha. So here we have a picture of what's going on here, okay? First we find out that illness is strong. And if you've ever been really sick, you understand that illness is strong. Death is even stronger than illness. In fact, up to this point, death had been undefeated. But we're going to learn today that there's someone even stronger than both of those. And who is it? Jesus is stronger than both combined. Illness is strong. Death is very strong. Undefeated up until this day. But Jesus is the strongest of all. And that's what he's trying to impart upon Martha. And if you remember in Psalm 23, 4, David says this. He says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now that's what we need to understand about where Lazarus is right now, okay? Has he died? Yes. Is it true death? Yes. No. It's the shadow of death. In fact, what we're going to learn today and be reminded of is that death, for those who believe in Jesus Christ, is a passageway to life. Okay? Death for those who believe in Jesus Christ is not real death. It's a passageway. So for those who have lost loved ones in the faith, are they dead today? The answer is no. My dad passed away a little over a year ago, and I believe my dad is alive this very moment, this very hour. Because my dad, in all, every way, could possibly see someone believe in Jesus. My dad did. And I believe he's not dead today. He's much alive just with Jesus Christ. So in verse 27, she said back in response to the Lord, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into this world. Martha does believe that Jesus is the resurrection. She does believe that Jesus can accomplish all things. We've already learned that. She's a little, she had to get a little of the details sorted out, but Martha does believe and have full confidence that Jesus is the strongest of all. Do we understand that today? Do we understand how strong our Lord is? Do we understand that he can utter words and create an entire universe? Do we understand that by his very word he upholds the universe by the word of his power? Do you understand how magnificent, how strong, how almighty your Lord Jesus is? That's what we're going to be reminded of today. That nothing can stand in the way of Jesus Christ. Nothing. And Martha's going to learn that in a very powerful illustration. And again, we'll remind you of this today. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That is a promise out of the mouth of the Son of God. You can take it to the bank. So when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. 
And when she, Mary, heard it, she rose quickly and went to be with him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. Do you notice what I said a little while ago? Jesus' relaxed nature to this whole thing. Jesus is going at a snail's pace here, or a turtle's pace. Pick one. Both. Um, Jesus still is very chill. Okay, he's not racing, he's not rushing, he's not stressed. In fact, he's going, he's going at like a mosey pace, okay? So much so that Mary, Martha can come to Jesus, Mary can come to Jesus, and Jesus is still kind of hanging out and taking his time. Jesus is very relaxed because he knows who's in charge of this entire operation, and it's him. In verse 31, now when the Jews who were with her in the house were consoling her, saw Mary quickly rise and go out, they follow her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Okay? She, they're assuming that Mary is now fleeing the house quickly to go and weep at the tomb. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. And if you know anything about Mary, that's kind of her position, her posture before the Lord. Whenever you see Mary in Scripture, this Mary, she's at the feet of the Lord Jesus, putting perfume on his feet and wiping his feet with her tears. When Jesus came over to their house, Mary and Martha's house, where is Mary? She's sitting at the feet of the Lord Jesus. Now when, when Jesus enters the village of Bethany, where is Mary? She falls at his feet, very humble, recognizing. Martha recognizes him. Mary recognizes who this man is. He is not man. He is the God man. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary believes that if Jesus had arrived just a couple days earlier, Lazarus would be up and well this very hour. But now, perhaps it's too late. Perhaps the ship has sailed. Perhaps it's the end for Lazarus. Jesus, if you had come just a little sooner, if those two days that you lingered, if you would have rushed by and come to Lazarus' side, I believe Lazarus would be with us and join fellowship this very hour. But now, perhaps... It's the end for Lazarus. And in verse 33, Jesus is watching this take place with the ones that he loves the most. He sees Mary weeping. And the Jews who had come with her also weeping. And it says, He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Is it because Lazarus has died? I don't think so, because something profound is going to happen today. I don't think Jesus is upset and weeping because it's troubled in his spirit because Lazarus has passed. I believe he's weeping because those who he loves are hurting and they don't have to be. If they simply understood, they wouldn't be weeping. They wouldn't be brokenhearted like they are now. And Jesus is greatly troubled by this. So he says to them, where have you laid him? Where have you laid Lazarus? And they said, Lord, come and see. And I'm assuming they're thinking Jesus wants to go and weep and mourn and grieve with the family. So they said he's at the tomb. And in verse 35, this is the shortest verse in the entire word of God. It says Jesus wept. Jesus lost it. Jesus is bawling at this point. He's losing it because he's seen so much grief and heartache around him. And he knows who he is. He knows what he's capable of. And they don't yet. They don't yet. And so they're grieving, they're mourning, and Jesus is watching this, and now he's weeping. And the Jews come to the conclusion, see how much he loved him? He's so brokenhearted because Lazarus has died. It has to be. 
Jesus loved Lazarus so much, but I don't think so. I don't think that's why Jesus is weeping. And then some of them said this, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? I mean, again, if he would have just come two days earlier, I mean, we've seen him heal the lame and the sick and the blind. Jesus, if he would have just come two days sooner, I mean, Jesus is the real-life Superman, right? I mean, they've seen him change water into wine. They've seen him feed 5,000 people with one small meal. They've seen miracle after miracle. Jesus is the real-life Superman before death. People are sick. People are lame. People are blind. It does not matter if Jesus is there. If only he would have come sooner, right? Because now it's too late for our friend and our brother, Lazarus. It's over. Rest in peace, Lazarus. That's the conclusion in the minds of those who are with Jesus that day. Lazarus is done. It's over. Jesus, you came too late. Thanks for coming, but you really don't need to come now. Then Jesus deeply moved again. He's very, really struggling with this concept of these people not understanding. He came to the tomb. And you have to understand, in the day, they didn't dig people six feet under the grave. They would have buried them in a cave, and they would have, they would have wrapped them with burial clothes. So he came to where Lazarus was. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Does this remind you of anything? Are you starting to see the parallel? Are you seeing the parallel? This should remind you of something, because you and I have the full story. We know the foreshadowing that's taking place here. We know that a very similar scene is going to take place only a few months and years after this. And it's going to look very similar to this one today. And we need to keep that in our minds, okay? So Jesus came to where Lazarus was. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Now that would have been, that would have been likened to digging up a grave today and opening the coffin. I mean, that, that's what it would be equivalent to today, okay? Jesus said, take the stone away. And Martha and Mary are hearing that. And Martha says... The sister of the dead man says to Jesus, Lord, that's probably not a good idea. By this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. I mean, rigor mortis is probably setting in. He's dead. I mean, he's really dead. Really dead. He's gone. It's over. I, removing the stone, probably not a good idea. Can't you just mourn and grieve outside of the tomb? Jesus says in verse 40, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of of God. If you simply believed, you would see something you've never seen before. You will see me do something that only I can do if you simply believe in what I'm able to do. Because with man, this is impossible, correct? Resurrection is impossible with man, but with God, all things are possible. And this, we talked about foreshadowing, but you guys have also heard the term flashback, right? In the Old Testament, there's a passage that's very similar to this one in John 11. In Ezekiel 37, the prophet, I don't have time to read this, of course, but the prophet Ezekiel is standing before a valley, and he's talking to the Lord, and the Lord is talking to him. And he brings Ezekiel before this valley, and it's full of dead, dry bones, skulls. The whole valley is. And the Lord asks the prophet a very strange question. He says, can these bones live? (laughs) 
I want you to imagine someone asking you that. Can these, can these bones live? And I love Ezekiel's answer because he says, Lord, you know. Um, it's just such an honest answer. I have no idea, Lord. I don't want to answer that question. But Lord, you know. Well, what happens in that passage? And I really suggest and recommend that you read this passage. In Ezekiel 37, the Lord tells Ezekiel to prophesy. And as he prophesies, the bones come together and sinews and flesh come back up on the bones. And the, and the, the people stand up. And suddenly this valley is full of now people. People with flesh and bodies put back together. But there's still a problem. They're still dead. There's no breath in them. So then he says to Ezekiel, prophesy. And a breath and a wind comes and comes back into their lungs. And they start to breathe and function again. And suddenly there's an exceedingly great army where once there were dead, dry bones. And this was a foreshadowing of this event with Lazarus. And Lazarus is a foreshadowing of another event that we're going to end on today. Because this is what God does. So they listen to Jesus, thankfully. They obey Jesus' words and they take away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said out loud, Father, God, I thank you that you have heard me. Now notice the past tense there. Because I believe from looking at this that this probably happened perhaps as long as four days ago. Maybe longer than that. As soon as Jesus got word that Lazarus is sick, I believe he prayed. That something remarkable would happen. That he would spare Lazarus. That God would be able to be glorified in this situation. He says, I knew that you hear me. I said this on account of the people standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. Another past tense. Heard, sent. Jesus is not only here on earth on purpose, sent from God the Father, John 3.16. But he's also with Lazarus here today on purpose because he's walking with the light of God, God's will. So here's what we have. We have the stone rolled away from the tomb, from the cave, and Lazarus inside, dead for four days, wrapped like a mummy, okay? Because that's what they did. They buried him in burial clothes. And so this is what's taking place. They roll the stone away. This is the scene everyone's seen. And then verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, Come out. Now that must have been very bizarre to hear. Okay, If anyone takes you to a grave and does that, it's probably best to leave them because that's very weird. Um, but Jesus does it. He goes to the tomb, yells into the tomb, Lazarus, come out. Now this is where the rubber meets the road because something better happen. Right? Jesus, the Son of God who promised eternal life, had healed the blind and the lame and the sick told them to roll the stone away. Lazarus has been dead four days, and then he yells into the tomb, Lazarus, come out. This is where the rubber meets the road. Just as we said about the resurrection, there's something better work here. So he yells into the tomb, Lazarus, come out or come forth. And some of you know the end of the story. The man who had died came out. Amen. The man who had died came out, came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Picture this. I mean, the man's probably waddling, but he comes out. He comes out of the tomb. And Jesus says, very chill, very relaxed, unbind him and let him go. <laughs> the man came out. The man came out of the tomb. The man who had been dead four days, who everyone thought his body was going to stink and the ship has sailed walked out of the tomb. 
I don't know what your reaction would have been that day, but I picture something like this. Okay? Something with your jaw agape, hanging at the floor, going, uh, uh, I've seen him heal the blind. I've seen him heal the lame. I've seen him heal the lepers. Did, did he really just raise the dead? Did, 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 did Lazarus really just come out of the tomb? I mean, they unbind him and let him go, and there's Lazarus. Jesus just told the dead man to walk out of the cave. Picture this scene because it must have been a remarkable thing to understand that you thought you knew Jesus' capabilities. You thought you knew where his power was. And then you realize, boy, it's on a whole different realm than even I can consider. You remember the story, uh, a lot of flashbacks and foreshadowing today, but you remember the story of David and Goliath, right? Well, I want you to picture this in another scene. we got death over here and Jesus over here. Death had been undefeated. Remember, Goliath was undefeated, wasn't he? Goliath had never lost until David showed up. Death had never lost. Death was a trillion and O or whatever until Jesus showed up. And suddenly, death lost. And if you remember, one of the phrases Jesus said when he died is, it is finished. It is finished. What I've accomplished here upon the cross is so profound, I have conquered both sin and death in one weekend. Sin, the greatest bullies of all time were sin and death. I took care of sin on the cross. And what has Jesus just now done with Lazarus and what what he was about to do himself three days after he died was conquer death, the two greatest bullies of all time. And this should remind us of a story that I told you we were going to end on today, and we sort of have to go quickly through this. But in Mark 15, this is the account of Jesus dying. In Mark 15, starting in verse 37, and Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. Did Jesus die on the cross? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. It wasn't a kind of death. It wasn't a limbo. Jesus died. He breathed his last upon the earth. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And I love this part. When the centurion, one of those responsible for putting Jesus on the cross, stood facing him, he saw that in this way he breathed his last. And he said, truly, this man was the son of God. It's another wild thing to picture. The centurion has been watching this whole thing, and now he sees the last breath go out of Jesus, and he comes to one conclusion. This is not a normal man. This is the Son of God who just died. And here we have the same similar scene. What did they do with Jesus? They put him in a tomb, because that's what you do with dead people. Put him in a tomb, put the stone in front of it, and game over. Christianity, dead. It's over. We had a great ride, Jesus. You taught us a lot. You did a lot of cool miracles, but now you're dead. The stone's in front of it, and game over. Well, no, of course not, because this scene with Lazarus here is what we call a parallel story, okay? In both stories, we have the same thing taking place. We have a danger. Lazarus is gravely ill. In our second story with Jesus Christ, he's tried and convicted and put upon a cross. In the first story with Lazarus, he dies. He's been dead for four days. In the second story, Jesus dies and breathes his last. In our first story, Lazarus comes back to life. And most of you know, because you're here today, what happens in the second story? Three days after Jesus died, in Mark 16, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices 
so that they might go and anoint the body and preserve the body because they love Jesus and they want to make sure he lingers as much as possible. And very early on the first day of the week when, they had, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. Again, this should remind you of the story we just read. And when they were saying to one another, who will roll the stone away for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back and it was very large. Someone had rolled it away already. The stone has already been rolled away. Well, that's a good thing. We don't have to roll the stone away because it's very big. But why has it been rolled away? Why is the stone rolled away? And entering the tomb to preserve the body of Jesus with spices and perfumes, they saw a young man sitting on the right side dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed, as you might be, going, what is happening here? And they said to him, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, who did die? He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. Take a look with your own eyes. You knew where they put him. You knew that he died. Look exactly where Jesus was laying and look at him now because he's not there. He's not there. The stone is rolled away. The body is not there. Where has Jesus gone? Now, there's some famous graves in this world. In fact, I, I found so many, I couldn't put them all up there. But I found the grave of Elvis Presley. I found the grave of Princess Di. There's a grave of John Lennon, if you want to visit it, and Abraham Lincoln. There's a lot of famous graves in this world, correct? But there's only one. One tomb in the history of, of mankind that is made famous for who's not buried in it. Amen? And who is that? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. They went to find him. They went to locate him. They went to preserve his body, and he's not there. And there we have the same reaction. Mary Magdalene and those who are with her today going, what? Where is he? Certainly he died. We saw him die. We saw the burying. We saw the stone be rolled in front of it. He's not here. Of course not, because what had happened? Jesus had rose from the grave, and we come to this crux. Because there has to be a response to that. I told you there was a response. For those who saw Lazarus come back to life, there was a response for those who expected to see Jesus still dead and he wasn't. And the, the, the question to us today is, what is our response to these stories? Number one, death is by far everyone's scariest enemy. It is. And until Jesus came, it had been undefeated, okay? Like I said, probably one trillion and oh until Jesus came. But as soon as Jesus came, death was defeated. Death lost its grip on Lazarus, on Jesus, all thanks to the Son of God. Death died that day. And that's a remarkable thing to understand. Number two, if death can be defeated, and it, it was, and it can be again, true hope for mankind exists. Because death is the greatest bully of all time. And if death can be defeated, then what should we fear? And the answer is nothing. Now I've found the top five phobias, Okay. I'm not going to make you fess up to any of these, but look at the top five phobias. And you tell me what's the common denominator of all five. Fear. Fear, and what else? Fear of what? Who said it? The fear of death. The fear of heights? I might fall and die. The fear of flying? I might crash and die. The fear of spiders and snakes? I might get bitten and I might die. The fear of the dark? Something in the dark might kill me. The fear of germs? I might get sick and I might die. Death is the common denominator of most every phobia out there. Everything we're terrified of, every insecurity we have, it all comes back to one big bully, death. 
But as we told you before, Jesus beat death. You have someone, you know someone, you're hearing about someone today who has the power to defeat even death. And if Jesus can defeat death, we have hope for everyone who's terrified in this world, everyone who has insecurities and depression and anxiety. Everyone has hope as long as they have this Jesus. Number three, if we can receive eternal life and we can we can live fearlessly. I mean, imagine that. If you have eternal life, how would you live? Eternal life. How would you live? If you really believe that God can give you eternal life and has given you eternal life, how would you believe? And I don't mean literally jump, jump across a chasm, okay? Don't, don't think too literally here. But, but we all have fear. We all have insecurities. And we all have been sent on this earth to do the will of God. But many times we cannot. And we will not. Because of fear. But what if you had eternal life? What if you knew that you would never die? Even when you died, it was the shadow of death. It was a passageway to greater, more abundant life. How would you then live? Would you live boldly and courageously? You would. You absolutely would if you knew you could never die. The last so what is if Jesus is alive today, we need him. Do you know anywhere else you can go for the cure of death? Anywhere? Can you go on the internet? Can you, can you go to Amazon and type that in? Can you go to a doctor? Can you, can you go to anyone in town? Is there anybody you know who can conquer death? And the answer is no. There's only one. There's only one savior. There's only one victor over death. And if he's alive today, and he is, he's alive in heaven, on his throne right now, then we need him. Because death is stalking us. Every single day, every single moment, even now, as I speak, we grow closer and closer to the grave. But if you have Jesus Christ, you're not scared of death. You're not scared of death because death is a passageway. Death has been conquered. Death has been defeated. And Jesus proved it by raising Lazarus and by raising himself from the grave. So my last question to you today is, do you got faith? Do you have faith in this Jesus? Because this is why we do this. You have to understand, this is not just a way to spend time or just to give you fun food or a fun time and experience. This is so that you understand that you can have the same hope that Jesus had and that I have and that many in this room have today. That when you pass from this earth, you will be more alive than you've ever been before. Because you will be with God himself in heaven. Where there's no pain, there's no suffering, there's no darkness. There's only victory and life and light forevermore. Isn't that something you want? And every single thing that this North Country needs all comes back to one thing. They need hope. And right now we're talking about the one who can grant it. The one who has defeated death. And I have to ask you this question today. Is Do you have faith? Have you believed? Because it comes down to that one thing. Jesus says, if you believe, you have eternal life. It's that simple. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the only Savior of the world, and that in a, in a, in a contest between death and Jesus, Jesus is going to come out on top because Jesus is stronger. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul finishes his passage by saying this. He says, death is turned into victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? If you believe in Jesus, death has no victory and death has no sting.
And I want to encourage you today that all you need to do is set your eyes upon the one who has conquered death, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ today. And that's how we encourage you today. Believe in him. Trust him. Follow him. Listen to his every word. Stay near him like Mary. Stay at the feet of Jesus because that's where all the power is. That's where all the hope is. That's where all the joy is. It was the day that death died. And I hope that's been an encouragement for your soul. It has for me because this very resurrection has changed my life forever. I once was following fears and insecurities and sins and whims of this world. And then my life was resurrected with hope and life from Jesus. And it's the day death died for me. And that's the day that I became truly alive. And you can too if you believe in Jesus. Would you bow in prayer with me? Father, I pray for the people in this room, the souls. I don't know the souls in this room. I don't know where they believe, if they believe in you, but I know they've heard a profound lesson from your word today of the power and magnificence that Jesus has. And I pray that we would look very carefully today and linger here because we're going to leave this place today and we're going to go on to other events and possibly be very distracted. But I pray that the seed that was planted today from your word would take shape in the souls here today. And that we'd understand one thing, that Jesus has conquered death and that we need Jesus. We give you all credit and glory for defeating death and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.